Father, as we come before you today, we come before you because you are worthy of our praise. We come before you because you are the sovereign who controls the universe, and you also control us. We come before you and we praise you because you're our redeemer, that there's no other way that we can be saved except through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in the fact that he died as the perfect sacrifice for us, in the place of sinners like us, paid the penalty of our sin in full, and rose from the dead on the third day, as we've been singing about, and now rules and reigns at the right hand of God the Father until that day when he returns. And we praise you and we worship you, Lord, because we have so many things in our life that we cannot control. We don't know the date of our birth. We didn't even choose to be born, but you did. We don't know the span or the scope of our life, but you do. We don't know when the date of our death or the return of Christ is going to be, but you do. And so we have to confess this morning that our life is in your hands. And we go through certain experiences like Jenny and Isaac did this last week, where that comes really, 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 really clear. And yet they're not the only ones. There were some people sitting here this morning who had a close call on their way to work or way home from work this past week, and maybe they don't even know it. But your sustaining hand and your guardian angels kept them from harm. There are people sitting in here in this audience who have been diagnosed with cancer and yet today because of the wisdom that you have given medical science and because of the way you created us and because of your intervention they're here and they're healthy there are people who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death and they would never want to go through that again but they can testify of one thing that you were with them while they walked through that valley we could go on and on and on with that. But I guess we need to wrap this up by just simply saying thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeing us through. Thank you for what you're doing that we can't even see. Thank you for what you were doing that we can see and have experienced and are well aware of. Remind us, Lord, of the things that we ought to be thankful for. And remind us that most of all, we ought to be thankful for you. And you have made yourself known to sinners like us. Hallelujah. Thank you for that, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, this morning. And let's go to Exodus 34. And we'll go down to verse 18. As I read these verses, and we talked last week a little bit about the uh, renewal of the covenant and the glory of God and those types of things, um, we're going to look at the last part of this. Israel has been sinful and unfaithful in the worst of ways, and yet God is willing to uh, still be their God and to allow them to be his people in spite of their sin. And uh, now as he's meeting with Moses up on the mountain, he's saying, okay, I'll renew the covenant because Israel, well, they weren't worthy of anything, were they? They were at the mercy 
of God, as all sinners are. And God said, I'm going to take this on myself, which is the way it has to be. If God doesn't do it, it just won't be done. And so uh, he's going to tell them some things that he is commanding them to do. And we can learn some things. We're going to look through these things and see some principles about worship as we go through this. And the reason I do this, because we live in a day um, where I determine, or I have uh, called it, my term is mech worship, okay? It's uh, every corner there's a church, and there are all kinds of church, and they all kind of look alike, and they all kind of act alike. And so many times they're more of a pastor being an entrepreneur than a shepherd, and they're more of a franchise than they are of a local assembly with local authority and that type of thing. And uh, if I uh, kind of compare them to McDonald's, I think some people come to church this morning. Maybe I'm talking about you. I hope not, but maybe I'm talking about you. And you came up to church, and it's like you came up to the drive-thru, and someone said, how can I help you today? And some of you ordered a, a full Happy Meal, and some of you just ordered a, a small fries. We'll do it. And what do I mean by that? Some of you don't really want what you could have if you just simply would trust and worship God. Some of you are content with just a dose just a little bit, just to get me through another week. And uh, you just take a little bit and then you go and then complain because you didn't get much out of it. And some of you, if we leave the McDonald's uh, metaphor and we kind of mix our metaphors a little bit and go to what Burger King, you, some of you who are older will remember this, they used to say, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us, all we ask is that you let us have it your way. And so many people go to church today to have it their way. My kind of music. Or hold the pickles. I want a different kind of music. A different style. Different setting. I've got to get something out of it. And it's more of a have it your way. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Whenever you get into the thing of you've got to give the people what they want, that's a circus motto. That's not a worship motto. Whenever you get to the point to where you say, we've got the people, they're the consumers, and if we can give them a product they like, they will come. You know what happens when you give the people what they want? Golden calf. When Israel had it their way, Aaron made them a calf. And they worshiped the golden calf and bowed before it. What a foolish, foolish thing that was. That's just dumb to do something like that. Here you are being redeemed and led out of Egypt by the God who created everything. In the beginning, Moses wrote... God created the heavens and the earth, and he was introducing the Israelites to the God that had redeemed them. This God who parted the Red Sea for them. There's not a golden calf in existence that can part the Red Sea. And yet God did it, 
And they walked across on dry land. God would provide for them. God would protect them. And God gives them his word. And God tells them how to worship and uh, the means to worship. Gives them the power to worship. And what do they do? When they get to have it their way, they get a golden calf. And I'm afraid that if you're wanting worship to be tailored to what you can get out of it, it's not about you. You're worshiping a golden calf this morning. Let that sink in. If you were looking for the church that fits you and your needs and the worship style is something that turns your crank, as we would say, you got yourself a golden calf. This is where we need to turn to the Lord. And God is going to make it very clear. When he renews the covenant, he is telling them about worship. And I think he's doing that because if we can get the worship right, everything else falls into place. And if everything else is not falling into place, and we've got sin and bad attitudes and all kinds of things in our life, that is a reflection. We're looking in the mirror to see who we are because we're not what we think we are. None of us are. And also, it's a reflection of our worship and our faithfulness to the Lord. When you get that right, you can get other things put into place. And that's what God is saying to Israel. So we're going to read our text, but before we do, I want you to think about these things and look for these things as we go through the text. Number one, notice that the Ten Commandments are rewritten, but they're not repeated. Okay, now kind of in principle, and there are some things, but it's not like God starts all over and says, let's get this right. And repeats the Ten Commandments. He doesn't. There's a reason for that. Secondly, pay attention to the focus on worshiping God exclusively and properly. We don't mix things up. We don't do a little bit of the world and a little bit of godliness. It's not going to work like that at all. And it's also not a little bit of you and a little bit of God and everything works out great. It's exclusively about God. Number three. Question for you. How does your definition of worship measure up to what we're going to talk about this morning, what we're going to read about today? How does your definition of worship measure up? Are you frustrated because you didn't get what you wanted? You're either lost or you're a baby. That's what babies do, don't they? The bottle's not right. The temperature of the formula is not right. I wasn't hungry. I'm not getting it. at the... That's what babies do. Okay? We want to grow up. This is about God. And number four, be thankful for redemption. Okay, why do I say that? Because none of us measure up to any of these things we're going to talk about this morning. Be thankful for redemption and the Holy Spirit in your life. Because without the Holy Spirit, you don't have a prayer, much less a worship in you. Okay? So let's read it together. If you're ready to read, starting at Exodus 34, 18, can I hear an amen? The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat 
unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. That's significant. Verse 19. All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. The lamb has to die for the life of the donkey. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. In other words, the penalty of death is on him without the redemption. Uh, does that picture anything? Does that remind you of anything that went on? Maybe the 10th plague? All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. And none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, and but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. No excuses, no exceptions, right? Verse 22. And you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you, the nations of Canaan, and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God uh, three times in the year. In other words, you're going to be safe from foreign attack during those times. That would be a time when Israel would be vulnerable. The men are at the tabernacle or at the temple. Great time to attack. God said, don't worry about it, just trust me. Verse 25. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. What does leaven symbolize? Sin. Okay, so he's saying, don't, don't mix this up. Nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. Remember, that was a command that had been given before. Verse 26, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Kind of a repetition of just a few verses up. And you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. There's one for you. Verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And you notice there that it comes to Moses, the mediator, and then to Israel. Just like our covenant with God comes to Christ and from Christ to each one of us because he is our mediator. Verse 28. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And you think I preach long. He neither ate bread nor drank water. You think you're hungry. And he, notice that is a capital H there. It's not Moses. This is God. And he, God, wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. So finally the Ten Commandments come in, but God doesn't reiterate them. He rewrites them and does that for Moses on the tablets that Moses prepared and brought up to the mountain. So some interesting things there. 
some things that you go, how in the world would that compare to our worship? And what in the world is he talking about boiling a goat in its mother's milk? Sounds disgusting. What is going on with all of that? Well, let's just kind of bring this down to thinking about the fact that God says, you are going to worship me, and here is how I want you to worship me. And while we may not do exactly the same things, in principle, we do the exact things that the Jews did before the coming and the death and the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the principles are the same, even though some of the rituals may be just a little bit different. Let's think about this. Worship is remembrance. God expects you to come to worship with a memory, with your mind. We're to love the Lord our God with everything we've got, and that includes our mind. We are to be a thinking people, a thinking people. Uh, You can get hurt when people forget certain things. Somebody forget your birthday. I almost forgot my brother's birthday yesterday. We were busy with some other stuff. And uh, I remembered. I was thankful I did that. Somebody uh, forget your birthday. It kind of, kind of bothers you maybe. I had uh, something else happen. My mother died March 24th in 2001. Two weeks after my mom died. Two weeks. Right out there in that foyer. A church member came up and said, Hey, how's your mom? Kind of hurts, doesn't it? I didn't mean anything, but it hurts. Why did it hurt? Well, if somebody forgets your birthday, it's because they didn't remember you. And it feels like you're not very significant to them because they don't remember that. Someone didn't remember that my mom had died and the grief that we had gone through and were going through. And they just forgot. They didn't mean it. They just sort of forgot. And it leaves you hurt. It leaves you a little bit concerned and empty, those kind of things, right? We've all been there. We've all been there. What do you think it is when we come together ostensibly to worship the Lord and yet we forget all that He has done for us? The first verses are talking about keeping that feast of unleavened bread and all of that. And then he goes on to say, why? Because I brought you out of Egypt. And the problem was Israel kept forgetting that God brought them out of Egypt. They forget where they were. They forget that they were enslaved. They forget that they were helpless. They forget that they were in bondage. They forget that they had been beaten. They forgot all of those things. And God says, you've got to have a reminder. And I think worship is tied to memory. We've got to remember what God has done for us. We've got to remember where he found us. We've got to remember where we would be without him. This is about remembrance. This is about taking the time to remember the Lord. And so anytime you are worshiping the Lord, this is a time for you to remember. Now, nobody liked eating unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was not like, I had a piece of peach pie the other day. I love peach pie. This is not anything like that. They didn't like it any more than you would say, where can I get a whole loaf of Lord's Supper bread? You don't ever do that. You don't ever do that. In fact, when we were using the little self-contained things during COVID, 
The one thing I liked about it is when you took... but That was the nastiest bread ever in those things. But you had your juice already there because that's unleavened bread. That gets stuck in my mouth. And I almost want to say, just do them both at the same time. You kind of, you know, need it. And uh, pass out some bottles of water, too. It gets stuck in your teeth and everything. Well, do you think they liked it? Do you think that they were saying, Oh, please, Lord, give us an opportunity to eat unleavened bread. No, they liked it with yeast in it. They liked it for the dough to rise and for it to bake and all of that, just like you do. But God said, I want you to always be reminded of this. And so I want you to take this because it's not natural for you to do this. And it's not supposed to be natural. It's supernatural. And it's reminding you of a supernatural event that took place in your life. Worship is tied to memory. Secondly, we notice that worship has to do with redemption. In fact, only the redeemed can worship. And God goes through, there were some strange things about these animals, but does it remind you of anything? And it ought to remind you of that 10th plague. God said, I'm going to send the death angel through Egypt, and if the blood is not on your house, then you're going to suffer the curse as well. And the curse is that the firstborn of the animals and the firstborn of the human families, that firstborn is going to die unless innocent blood is shed on their behalf. It's a picture of redemption. In this case, he says, all of the firstborn, they're mine. That reminds us of what happened in Egypt. And he also said that when a donkey has its first foal or whatever you call a donkey, then you either redeem it with the life of a lamb. Well, why should a lamb have to die for a donkey? And I think we could look at that and say, then why should the Son of God have died for us? We're a little more than that. It's a picture, and he's reminding them and getting it in their mind that to be right with God, innocent things have to die for the guilty things, the valuable for the less valuable in some cases. And so what happened? The lamb would die, and they were to be redeemed, and the firstborn was supposed to be redeemed as well because it belonged to the Lord. What is this a picture of? Reminding them of the plague that we went through in Egypt that got them out, that set them free. And it is to remind us all that worship is about redemption. As we said earlier, we're not a gathering of the perfect coming together to crow about our own righteousness and how much we've got it together and how perfect our life is. No, we're a bunch of ruined sinners and we are just wrecks we are messes and we are mess ups in everything that we do. And guess what God has done? He is the one who sent his son, the lamb, to redeem a bunch of donkeys like us. Right? And so when you think about all of that, it's very picturesque. Worship is about redemption. Why can't some people worship? Because they've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. They're not redeemed. The Holy Spirit doesn't live within them. Their sins have not been forgiven. And they don't know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And that is the problem. Number three, then he goes into this thing about the Sabbath once again. And we talked about that when we went through these in the Ten Commandments. But here's one thing you can't deny. Whether it's Old Testament or whether it's New Testament... Worship is supposed to have focused intensity. We've made it so casual. We've made it so easy 
that we just daydream and we think about a million different things and you know we uh, can sing this is one of the things where uh, we talk about I just like the old hymns well I understand that and I do too because a lot of those old hymns I can sing and I don't even have to look at the screen but you know what else I can do when I'm singing the old songs I could make a grocery list if I wanted to I can think of any number of things that I need to do and sing all the verses of the old rugged cross because it's just in my mind and my mind can wander. Sometimes with the newer songs, I get my mind focused a little bit more because I have no idea what the words are. And I have to look on the screen and I have to see the words and I think a little bit more about it. You know, one of the things we don't do much today about is think. And the only way you're really going to think and remember uh, your redemption is to actually have focused intensity upon God. It's not really about anything else that goes on. It is about Him. And so what God was saying is, I don't care what season of the year is, whether it's time to plow or time to harvest, you take time out to worship me. You don't forget me. I gave you those horses that you use for plowing or mules or whatever. I'm the one that gave you the crop to plant. I'm the one that made the earth that caused the seed to grow. I gave the rain. I'm the one that gave you the wisdom to know how to fertilize the crop and when to plant it and when to harvest it. I did that, and you need to stop and acknowledge me. And that's our problem today. We are a society that has forgotten God and that has crept into the church. We think it's about us and what we have done, and we forget we could not even make a decision had God not given us that capability. We would not know the right thing to do had God not revealed it. And all of the wisdom that we have, it comes from God, and we need to stop what we're doing and pay attention to Him and focus with intensity on who He is, how great He is, how wonderful it is to know Him. Focused intensity is what we were reminded about in those passages about the Sabbath. Number four, it really is about faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For by grace are you saved through faith. We live the life of faith. We are to operate in a life of faith. And in these verses, he says that you're to observe the Feast of Weeks. What does that mean? It means we bring in the first fruits of the harvest to the Lord. What are the first fruits? It means that when you bring an offering to God, and these people were basically agrarians, so it wasn't like they were bringing in cash or writing a check or anything like that, or using online giving. They didn't have a regular paycheck that came every week to them. They didn't have an annual salary. It was whatever they could earn by growing and by selling. And you may, in those days, you may have a bumper crop and you say, man, I've got more wheat than ever before. But if the price of wheat goes down, you don't make any more money than you did maybe the year before. They never knew, never knew for sure. And you know what God has the audacity to say? As an act of faith, bring me the first of your wheat crop. What? I don't know how much I'm going to get in. Guess. Calculate. Think about it. But bring the first into me. Well, what if I don't have as much or have enough left over? You leave that to me. You honor me as the God who gave you the ability to make a living and bring in a harvest. Bring the first into me. What was that? It was an act of faith. 
I got these first bushels of apples or bushels of wheat or ears of corn and I'm going to bring them in and give them to the Lord, the God who created these things, the God who made these things to grow, the Lord of the harvest as a measure of faith to say, I believe that there's more to come. First fruits always means I believe there's more to come. And that's why the Bible even said that you, as a Christian, are the first fruits of the kingdom of God and of his inheritance. Why? You and I, you and I are first fruits. There's more to come, more that is happening, more that God is going to do. He's not finished, and he will fulfill all of his word. So how much does faith come to play in your life and in your worship? Is, an express, is it an expression of your faith? Or are you just giving God your leftovers? If I have time, I'll go to church. If I get all my bills paid, I might give to the church of the Lord Jesus. If it doesn't interfere with anything else, I might minister to somebody. If uh, nobody's looking, I might witness to somebody. Or do we have God on our mind first and foremost? And that's what the Bible calls for. That is an act of faith. It also, you'll notice, is a time of gathering. Now, yes, you can worship by yourself. Yes, you can worship and you should worship alone. But that's not the only way to worship. You're not to keep it to yourself. There was a time when the men of Israel were to gather three times of the year. Three times, that's all they had to do. We have to do it, you know, what, 104 times if you come Sunday morning and Sunday night. Then if you add Wednesday nights on top of that, that's way above my pay grade. But uh, what, what are we doing here? What are we thinking about? Well, consider this, how easy it is for you to come to church. Oh, I just couldn't make it today. You have a house where you sleep in a dry, warm bed. You get into a car that's air-conditioned, that's heated, that runs pretty smoothly. You've got paved roads to drive on, but, oh, it's just so hard to get there. You've just got to understand that. What did these people have to do to gather with the Lord? How long did it take them to get there? Long way from Galilee, the northern part of Israel, down to Jerusalem, isn't it? It was dangerous. For them to go to the temple, they might get robbed. For them to go to the temple, they might get hurt. For them to go to the temple, something might happen to their family while they're on their way. All kinds of things could happen. And yet they went, and God commanded them to go. Why? Because there's something about the unity of gathering together. And he even told them that when you gather together, not only will I drive out the nations and enlarge your borders, but while you are gathered, while the men are there, I mean, that makes you kind of vulnerable in those days especially. Let's attack them while the men are gathered. They have this silly little thing they do. All the men gather here in one place. Let's attack them. And we'll get their women, we'll get their children We'll take their land and their farms and their possessions. Or maybe we just surround them when they are gathered there and we attack and slaughter all the men and then we can do anything we want. Can you imagine? What would Vladimir Putin do in that situation if we were talking about Ukraine? He would wait until that feast and then he would slaughter all of them. And he could do anything he wanted to do. You see in the picture? And God said, when you gather like this in honor of me, no one will even covet your land. It won't enter their mind to try to attack. 
There's something powerful about gathering. There's something about being alone, being by yourself, being isolated that makes you more vulnerable. The man back in the old days wasn't coming to church. Preacher was concerned about him. The preacher went to go see him. And he went inside the house. It was winter time. He had a fire burning in the fireplace. And they sat down and the preacher didn't say anything. And then he got up and he went over to the fireplace. He took tongs that were there on the hearth. He pulled one of the bright burning hot coals. Pulled it out and sat it on the hearth. Then went back and sat down in his chair. And the preacher and the man, the absentee church member, looked and watched as the coal got cooler and cooler and cooler and cooler until the flame was out and it wasn't even hot. The man looked at the preacher and said, I get it, I'll be there Sunday morning. There's something about us when we are not gathered. Our warfare is not as strong. Our victory is not as intense. We need the encouragement of one another. And that time when you talk before and after the services is so incredibly important. That time when you can talk about what God has done, about the victories in your life, just might encourage someone to press on for another week. And if you're not here, you can't share that. Or if you're not here, you can't hear it. It's not just about the preaching, in other words. There's something powerful about the gathering of the people of God. And even in ancient Israel, God said, you be sure, as hard as it is, <clears throat> you gather, and as you gather, I'm going to bring you victory, and I'm going to, <clears throat> excuse me, protect you during that time. And then we also want to talk about purity. <clears throat> you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Leaven is a symbol of sin. And what God is trying to do in our lives, not trying to do, He is doing it. What God is doing in our lives is gathering us together so that when you are... I mean, l listen, folks. <clears throat> I hope I'm not talking about you. But if I am, this is a rebuke. People talk differently inside of a church than they do outside. Right? People do different things in here. Been to a hundred funerals or more here. And I've watched people, <clears throat> they don't smoke in here. They don't smoke, they go outside and they smoke. They don't cuss in here. And if they do, they apologize and say, pardon my French preacher. I was like, I speak French apparently. Because I understood what you said told one guy who said that, he'd go, don't apologize to me. You didn't use my name in vain. Apologize to the one that matters. Why? You talk differently in here. And you know what? It's not just them. We do the same thing. Many times, even believers, we act differently here than we do at work, than we do at home, than we do when we're driving down the road. And so every time we gather, it's a reminder of how we ought to be all the time. Can I get an amen on that? And we need to be reminded. Well, we're back to point number one, aren't we? Because God wants us to be pure. 
He wants us to worship and to live in a pure way. Not all mixed up, not confused. It reminds me of what it says in the New Testament that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from God. And there's a problem. We're double-minded. He said, does bitter water and fresh come out of the same fountain? And the answer is nope. And yet we try. And every time we gather to worship, it's a reminder of how it ought to be, how we ought to be, what we ought to think. It's when we're in here as we're going through a tragedy that we're reminded that God is in control. It's in here that we're reminded that this is not the end. It's in here that we're reminded that we're part of a, something bigger than ourselves. It's in here that we're reminded about what real family is. Where It's in here we're reminded what real holiness is praise worship honor optimism faith all of those things happen when we gather because God is interested in our purity we're not to mingle the blood of the sacrifice with the leaven and we are to offer it before the Lord and we're to offer it with purity and we're to do it the way God wants it to be and so you say, well, I thought God forgave sin. He does forgive sin, but he never encourages sin. This is something we are supposed to confess and forsake. It says in the book of Proverbs, whoever confesses and forsakes his sins will find mercy. Well, this is a reminder of kind of how it ought to be. This is a little taste of heaven. Number seven, worship ought to be Filled with gratitude, gratitude, gratitude for the Lord. You know, we complain and gripe a lot. We live in a, in a negative, self-centered world, don't we? Things don't go my way, I gripe. People don't do what I think they ought to do, I gripe. And yet I've got so much to be thankful for. You've got so much to be thankful for and to be grateful for. And worship should be more than just putting in our time. Worship ought to be an expression of our gratitude to God. God gave us... Hey, folks, listen. How many of you were here last week? Say amen. You know what you ought to be thankful for? God gave you another week. Another week to worship. Another week to love. Another week to serve. Another week to love. Another week to be with your family. You're not guaranteed a tomorrow. And so every time we gather, it's a time of gratitude for life that God has given us. Every time we gather, it's a time for us to... Be grateful for the answered prayers. Sometimes we're so intense when we're praying for God to do something. And then once he does it, we're like those nine lepers. We go about our merry way and we forget to even say thanks. This is a time to say thanks. Thank you to the Lord. This is the time that the first fruits reminded the Israelites that God is the one that brought the harvest, not them. God is the one who sustains their life, not them. And so they bring it in in gratitude to the Lord. And then he says that weird thing. You shall not boil, in the King James Version, I think it says a kid. Boy, that's picturesque, isn't it? You shall not boil, uh, you've wanted to, you shall not boil a young goat, is what we're talking about, in its mother's milk. What does that mean? I don't know. There's speculation that it could be saying that uh, it's an expression of the Jewish belief 
in the sanctity of life. There's just something wrong about boiling a baby goat in the substance that should be giving it life. It could be. Some say, I think if you have a MacArthur study Bible, he says in there that it's probably a Canaanite pagan tradition, a ritual, and God doesn't want them doing it. But we don't really know for sure. But the idea there is that what we do, it ought to be pure. We get that clearly from all of this. So our gathering, our giving, our rituals, all of that should be the overflow of thanksgiving and gratefulness to God. Okay, and then number seven, it, it ought to be scripturally based. Okay, scripturally based. We don't just give God what we think he might want. That's what Cain did, and it didn't work out so well, did it? We are to give God what he wants. You know, there's nothing worse than giving somebody a Christmas present that they don't really want. You can see it on their face, especially if they're a little kid. They're honest enough to let you know. But boy, when you give somebody something that they want, man, you see their face light up, and it's a joy, and your heart gets happy. You're glad, I'm glad you like that. I'm glad I was able to give that to you. Boy, it's a wonderful thing. That's the way we ought to be when it comes to worship. I'm not giving God what I think he wants. I'm not giving God what I don't want anymore. Can you imagine if you're a little kid at Christmas and you get something, you go, wow, this is wonderful. And the person that gave it to you said, yeah, it's broke. I didn't want it anymore. I'm tired of it. Here, you can have it. And that's the way we are sometimes when we come to church, when we come to the Lord. We're not really giving the Lord anything that he wants. We're giving him more of what we don't want. If there's nothing else happening on Sunday morning, if there's nothing else happening on Sunday night, if I'm not too busy or too tired on Wednesday night, I'll give it to the Lord, but only if I don't want it anymore. But if I want it, if there's a sport, if there's somebody, some way I can make a dollar, if there's something more fun, well, then God's not getting it because I want it, it's mine. And then we act like, Toddlers once again, don't we? But all of this is based upon the word of God. God is revealing what he wants out of all of this. And we're going to miss the boat and miss the blessing if we fail to give God what he says he wants. In fact, he wants it so much that he tells Moses, write these things down and give them to the people and then he said, and then we're going to have a redo of the Ten Commandment thing, except you're not going to write it down. I'm going to, and I want you to give it to them because I want my people to know exactly what it is I think, what it is that they should be doing, and what it is that constitutes the real worship that is worthy of a true and living God. You can worship a golden calf any old way, any old time you want to, because he doesn't deserve it, number one, and he can't do a thing about it if you don't. But beloved, we're not worshiping a golden calf. We're worshiping the sovereign God of the universe. And we owe everything to him and our lives 24-7 belong to him. And Paul said it like this, In him we live and move and have our being. Why? Because you cannot live or subsist without him. He is your life. May God forgive us when we take worship and make it, some, make it something that we want, that we like, that pleases us. 
instead of worshiping him the way he deserves to be worshiped. God forgive us and all God's people said, amen. Heavenly Father, we conclude this time by saying and remembering that you told the woman at the well that the Father is seeking worshipers. And we fall so far short of the glory of God. We worship a lot of golden calves without even thinking about it and not even meaning to. And yet we do. Forgive us. Bring people to faith in Christ. And bring us through repentance, through a right relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, don't miss tonight.